Good morning, all. Good morning. Welcome. Glad you're here today. It's uh, good to share this time of fellowship and worship with you, uh, and we welcome everyone this morning. Uh, let me remind everyone of our attendance sheets on each row. We'd like to ask if you would to take those and fill them out for us. Uh, if you would, wouldn't mind doing that, we would appreciate it. We have uh, several announcements. I just want to hit on them real quick today because we have a lot going on this morning. And uh, but we do need. Uh, we will be serving lunch at the at uh, Salvation Army on Saturday, and we still need some volunteers to help for that. So if you're available to uh, to help on Saturday to serve lunch at Salvation Army, uh, please. Christine or Sybil, and, and uh, we'll plug you in there. Uh, we also have um, a couple of upperclassmen activities going on. We have our covered, lit, covered dish lunch and our outing to uh, the Voices of Elmwood uh, later this week. So check your, your, uh, your bulletin here. It has information about that. Uh, the Highway 60 yard sale and barbecue is coming up quickly. And we are receiving uh, items uh, that, that we can put in there to sell. If you have some things you want to clear out your closet, we'll, we'll sell them. And uh, all of that money goes towards our mission projects. And uh, we're pre-selling uh, uh, barbecue chickens. And so if you'd like to take some tickets and uh, to buy some, but more importantly, sell some. Mike has some back here. So... And, and there's some in the office as well. So pick those up and, um, and um, be diligent about selling these because these are, this, this is our, our primary fundraiser for our missions projects here. And Mary has an announcement about Hoops and Cheers, which is starting this week. We've got practice. <laughs> our Hoops and Cheers... Uh, Basketball and cheerleading organization starts, the practice start on Tuesday. Um, so we'll have two weeks of practice, and then our first games are October the 14th. Um, Y'all, we've still got two teams that need coaches. They are kindergarten and first graders, so they're the little ones who need to be taught the basics um, on how to shoot and dribble and play well with others. Um, they practice on Thursdays at 6 o'clock. Both teams practice on Thursday at 6 o'clock. It'll be an hour, 6 to 7. They play on Saturday morning from 9 until 10. So those are your time commitments, 6 to 7 on, six to seven on Thursday and 9 to 10. Jamie's trying to tell me something. I'm not good. 9 to 10 on Saturday. Um, so, um, <laughs> I'm going to pull a Sue Berry. I'm going to stand here until we get coaches. <laughs> I don't see any hands. Tim, it's going to be a while. All right, if y'all, please, 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 um, ponder that, consider it. Um, we've got these two teams that we're still needing coaches. Thanks. Sorry, Jamie. Thank you so much. We do need some, some coaches, and I see some people that could volunteer here, so uh, jump in, folks. We, we would really appreciate it. Uh, you will notice as, as you leave, some of you probably noticed it as you come in, uh, there's a toolbox out in the uh, front foyer, and this is for Habitat Past the Toolbox Day, and you'll be learning some more about that 
Brittany will be speaking on that a little bit, but we will invite you to drop in some money or some uh, volunteer uh, opportunities or simply a, a prayer for Habitat as you leave today. Uh, we invite you to do that uh, this, this morning. Um, let us stand and greet each other in the name of the Lord. Let's just share the love of Christ with one another. For, for, for. <laughs> Sponsored reading for today. This is a litany for shelter uh, in honor of our Habitat for Humanity uh, Day today. O Lord, by whose cross all enmity is brought to an end, break down the walls that separate us. Help us understand how to tear down the former things. Show us how to bring renewal to your world. Awaken in us the passion to dream. Guide us as we take small steps toward great visions. We ask that you give us wisdom and strength. Patience and compassion. Lord, who can make all things new, open our eyes. Let us see in our own communities and around the globe those who are without shelter. Today, we lift up to you those who yearn for a simple, decent, and affordable place to call home. Give us courage to respond. 
As we give up ourselves, let us be grateful for those who give to us. By the power of your Spirit, make us one. faces here. My assistant coach is here too, let me tell you right now. This guy's going to help me bring a basketball team. Uh, I'm going to start out this morning by saying it, uh, it always gives me pleasure. But normally I bring a craft that I've done, but I'm not doing that today, okay? Uh, may or may not know that I'm a retard, okay, semi-retard contractor, okay? Do you know what contractor is? You know what a contractor is? He builds things, okay? And in the process of building things, uh, we have to use certain things. We're going to have show and tell right now, okay? Does anybody know what them are? Nails? Yeah, real good. You know what that is? A what? Well, it's not really a tube of glue. It's a tube of caulk, Okay. But you're close, okay? Bet you all don't know what that is. A what? A block of wood. That actually came from a stud, okay? That's short for a piece that we use in framing, all right? And this is probably really a difficult one here. What do you think that is? Paint. Well, yeah, it can be. It's furniture paint, but we use that. Has any of you all seen this at your house or home? Yeah, 
yeah, yeah. Well, that's good. That's good. I'm sure your parents really like for you to take hold of that and do a little better around the house. But, you know, something all my life, and I've done it for over 35 years, I've noticed that there is a resemblance to a house and this building. And one of the resemblance we have is uh, we call this, what do we call this place? Yeah. Well, you know, it could be a gymnasium, it could be a YMCA, okay? It's just a building to me. What makes it a church is you all and everybody out here. We come to this place and gather in the name of God. We bring our hearts. We learn about God and Jesus and what he did. And that's a great thing. That's what makes this different from other buildings. It's not the building itself. It's what we bring to the building, okay? Now I'm going to tell you how that resembles a house. In my 35 years of building houses, let me tell you. Now I want to get this totally clear with everybody, okay? I cannot build you a home. All this stuff here that we take to make a home is very important. It's also in this. We know we can see the paint on the walls. That's very important. But I can only build you a house. The only time it becomes a home is when you and your family comes in and you bring the love, the affection, and the help that you give at home. Can we call it a home? Otherwise, it's just a home. Dottie Backer is a realtor. She's never sold a home in her life, I can tell you right now. The best she can do is sell a house. Anybody that's got a sign out in their front yard that says, Home builder, they must live there. Okay? You understand what I'm saying? Good. I want a little prayer, Okay. Dear God, let no sadness come through our gate. Let no trouble come to our dwellings. Let no fear come through our doors. Let no conflict come to our pucks. Let our homes be filled with the blessings of joy and peace. Amen. Amen. Thank you all.
Let us pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for bringing us here today at your house for redemption and our praise. Bless us for those offerings we take far forth in our faith. Let us be thankful in our ways of what we appreciate, your guidance to give us time for you to see what we see in you to strengthen our belief as we take this offering to develop our moments with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Today's scripture reading is Matthew 21 through 16. Here we go. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for the usual daily wage, he sent them into his vineyard. When he went out about... Hold on. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. When he went out... About nine o'clock, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And he said to them, You also go into those vineyards, and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. When he went out again about not, uh, noon, and then about three o'clock, he did the same. And about five o'clock, he went out and found others standing around, and he said to them, Why are you standing here idle all day? They said to him, Because no one has hired us. He said to them, You also go into the vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his manager, Call the laborers and give them their pay, beginning with the last and then going to the first. When those hired, about five o'clock came, each of them received the usual daily wage. Now when the first came, they thought they would receive more, 
but each of them also received the usual daily wage. And when they received it, they grumbled against the landowner, saying, they, These last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Do you not agree with me for the usual daily wage? Take what belongs to you and go. I chose to give this last the same as I gave you. I am not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me. Are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Most of you know Larry and I, um, but for those of you that don't, my name is Brittany Smith. Uh, I think I've gone to church here since I was five years old. I'm not sure how many years Larry's gone here, but we've known him 19, he said. Uh, We've known each other a long time, and uh, for some reason Larry has decided he wants to help me in Habitat now, too. So it might be a little crazy. I told him most weeks we spend uh, seven days a week together, so we're becoming very, very good friends. So um, what we're here to talk with you about today is Habitat for Humanity of Henderson, Kentucky, which we're both very passionate about. And what I'd like to do before we watch this video, I'd like to give you a little explanation about Habitat. Because what Larry and I have found in the last couple of uh, years as we've worked with Habitat is that most people don't actually understand what Habitat is or what Habitat does. So what Habitat is, we give citizens in the Henderson community a safe, decent, affordable home. Our families have to fall 60% or below the average median income set by the federal government. Many Habitat families would never be able to afford a conventional mortgage. That's where Habitat comes in. The one thing we do want everybody to know is Habitat is not a handout. It is a hand up. All of our homeowners pay a monthly mortgage, which includes principal, taxes, and insurance, as all of you do. The way that Habitat is able to help these homeowners is we sell these homes at 0% interest. We also help our homeowners through financial classes, home um, training for pests and home maintenance, and a mortgage training class as well. Habitat serves as three things for these homeowners. We serve as their contractor. We serve as their mortgage lender slash bank. As these ladies up here will tell you, I call it the bank of Habitat. Um, We don't have any free pens or suckers, unfortunately. (laughs) Um, And we also run the ReStore to help us be able to fund building the homes in Henderson. And our mission is to build houses, build hope, and change lives in Henderson County. That's why we exist and why we have existed for about 26 years. Um, I did want to give you one number before you watch this video. Last year, with the help of the community, we were able to build a home, one that included Linda's home up here in the black. And um, that home, the original uh, appraisal of the lot was between three to $6,000. Whenever we were done with those three homes, each home appraised for at least $80,000. We were able to add 
of value. I'm sorry, in one year we have increased these lot values by $228,000. That's just three homes in Henderson County. That money is going directly back so that it goes in the city and the county taxes. It goes to that homeowner living here, working here, and spending their money here. So our homeowners are a vital part of this community and really do give back as much as the community gives them. So um, we're going to watch a short video that Habitat International created about what Habitat does. Um, what I want you to do is I want you to watch for who the celebrity is in it. And if you guys get this right, I'll be very surprised. And then I'm going to ask if anybody sees the celebrity at the end of the video. <laughs> Habitat transformed this community. It gives me a sense of security for my kids. It's a, a, an awesome change. After the typhoon, we lost almost everything. And we are very thankful to Habitat. This house changed our lives. Strength. Fuerza. We want. Para mi familia. For my family. For, for my, my family. I feel like a great dad. I'm happy every day I wake up and I see my children, and I'm happy that I have provided for them a great home. The joy of having all these people come together and everyone caring so much about what they're doing, it's such an inspiring atmosphere. When you feel like safe with your family inside your home, it's really, it's made our dream come true. Thank you. Asante. Thank you. Maraming salamat. Funny Lou. Arigato. Merci beaucoup. Gracias. celebrity no. well the woman that says oh god bless you and somebody kisses her that's actually Garth Brooks that's kissing her that's at a build in Nashville and I only know that because I read an article about it <laughs> but no one has gotten that right yet usually people yell out Jimmy Carter because that's their guest because he's so well connected to Habitat um, but I'm gonna have Larry speak with you for a moment about um, some volunteers that we have at Habitat how you can get kind of involved and then I'd like to share a little bit of some homeowner stories with you Good morning. <clears throat> you know, I don't know why I have an easier time talking to you all than I do them kids. <laughs> and I figured it out this morning. I think I'm afraid they're going to ask me a question and show they're smart, smarter than me. So it's not a problem. <clears throat> but I'd like to speak on behalf of volunteers for Habitat. And I'd like everyone that's ever volunteered for Habitat hold their hand up. Thank you. Even though the money is very important, I think the other important part is the volunteer force that we have. Uh, it's just not individuals like you that uh, volunteer. We have corporate volunteers that help us all the time, and it means so great to us. The one thing we do have, and I've changed the name from Thursday Crew to Tea Crew, okay? And the reason I have is because it used to be just pretty well only Thursdays that these guys usually came in and worked, but 
for some reason, I've talked them in, and some of them working on Tuesdays too, so we call it a Tuesday crew. <coughs> but every time I come up to different individuals, and some of them maybe are you, I ask if you'd like to volunteer to be on the T crew. And a lot of remarks have been, well, I don't know anything about construction. Well, I want to read you a list of what I got as far as the guys that helped me on Tuesday T crew. I only have to have three that actually have any building experience at all, okay? I have an assembly line operator. I have a uniform truck driver. I have an engineer tech on bridge construction. I have a pharmacist. I have a vice president of manufacturing. I have an industrial electrician, a metal machine technician. I have an economics professor that taught out the college here in Henderson. And also have an internal regulatory consultant. <laughs> I'm glad he's bringing that game to the table. <laughs> but all these people come and they give their all. And no, they don't know a lot about construction. But when they come, we have a good time. And with our corporate volunteers, we get it done. And we get it done right. We do want to build them a safe, affordable house. Uh, there's no corners cut. Uh, these people, Miss Beverly here, bigger hand Beverly. A week from Miss Saturday, she gets to move in her own house that we're finishing up. We got her done on 621 Fifth Street. If anybody wants to go by, well, no, I'm talking about 621. It's my show, okay? <laughs> 621 Fifth Street. We went in the ground this week for a foundation, okay? And uh, I'm looking forward to that. If you all want to see the progress, please come by and, and see it, okay? And as Brittany told you, before that backhoe hits the ground, these people know how much their house payment is. And that's a very misconception throughout the world when I talk to people because I've had people, I've asked a volunteer, and I'm, I don't want to help. These people just give this house, gave to them. And that's absolutely a false statement. These people put in 200 hours at least of their own sweat equity. Beverly's been there a bunch. She stands out in the street and cries, and then she makes the rest of us cry. <laughs> so it's very important to them, and believe me, if you want fulfillment in your life and in your heart, and it don't mean you have to come and volunteer. That lady and several up here have brought food to our volunteers that have volunteered. That means a lot to them. And it'll mean a lot to you, too. I appreciate your time. Thank you. <clears throat> what we're here to kind of talk with you about today, as Dr. Hobbs mentioned, is Pass the Toolbox. Pass the Toolbox is an initiative that we are starting through Habitat for Humanity of Henderson, Kentucky. Our, this initiative we call Pass the Toolbox because we believe that a toolbox, such as this one, is the most representative of Habitat and kind of what we do day to day. This initiative goes back to Habitat's roots, and that's called Building on Faith. That's a Habitat that's built for half a century. But Building on Faith means maybe the money's not there sometimes, maybe the volunteers aren't <coughs> there. We start and we assume that God will provide as long as our um, intentions are pure. And so what we would like for you to help us do today, in this box that's out front and will be next week, 
we would like for you to put in change in money if you feel led. Also, your name if you'd like to volunteer. Uh, put your number and your email. We will call you. Maybe your address. We'll stop by, too. Um, but we'd like for you to put in prayers, too. We understand that some may not have extra money to give or may feel that a prayer is more um, of what they're feeling led to do. All the prayers will be collaged at Habitat and hung. And every year, um, and we have multiple churches. We have about 10 to 12 that are doing this initiative with us. Those will be hung at Habitat so that it will give what I call good mojo to our facility. And also, if we're having a bad day or we're getting frustrated, that gives us something to look at, me and my staff, to show that we really are giving back to the community and doing what God has led us to do. We would also ask that you add Habitat for Humanity to your daily prayer list or your weekly prayer list because prayers are the most important things to helping us build on faith. To help you better understand the impact that Henderson Habitat has had in Henderson County, um, I want to read you a couple of homeowner letters. Um, Our homeowners, once they receive their homes or are approved for homes, they write a letter about why they wanted that home, what it means to them, whatever they want to tell the community back. And so these are a couple of them. Meredith Cook, which many of you know. um, Meredith said, uh, Meredith Cook is Cutler's mom. um, For those of you who may uh, have trouble making the connection. Habitat for Humanity has given my son and me a new beginning. means making memories in a home that's our own. There will be plenty of messy spaghetti dinners, scaring away monsters at night like only I can, picking up endless amounts of socks strung all over the floor, and teaching my son to have pride in what we own. But most of all, this is my chance to show that being a single mother doesn't mean you struggle, doesn't mean you can't provide, and doesn't mean that my son won't have a place to call home. Hannah, who received the Blitzfield home, Hannah's in high school, Hannah said, getting accepted means a lot to my family means we won't have to worry about our rooms flooding. Where we live now, any time it rains, my room, and my, li- my room and our living room floods. My mom is the one to clean it up. We also have no hot water. Where we live now, we have to take a shower or wash. Uh, I'm sorry, she said, we will also have hot water. Where we live now, we have no hot water to take a shower or wash dishes. To wash dishes, my mom takes bottled water and heats it up in the coffee pot. Thank you for accepting us. There is another one, um, Kat, as he mentioned, at 621 Fifth Street. Kat is a single mother, works out at Tyson. She's actually from the Carolinas, and Job Corps brought her here, which is really neat for us because Job Corps lays our floors and does our concrete work. Beverly also came here through Job Corps, and so Job Corps brought some wonderful people to our area, and we're happy to have that connection with them, and they're happy to get back to some people that went through their program. What Kat says is, I'm very blessed that my son, Frank Brewer Jr., and I have been afforded the blessing of our, new, of our very own home. Explanation point she put. Being selected to partner with Habitat to build my son and I's future home is a dream come true. I've often dreamed about watching my son run and play with family and friends in his very own backyard. I'm excited to be able to entertain family and friends at my home for Thanksgiving, Christmas, and social events. Homeownership is my biggest blessing, and I thank Habitat for taking part in blessing me and my son. Now, these two ladies up here who have been so gracious to get up their Sunday and come here today, um, this is Miss Linda right here in the black. This is Miss Beverly over here. Linda's uh, granddaughter, Stephanie, wrote us a letter, and I hope Linda doesn't start crying when I read this. Every time I read Linda's letter, she, she starts crying. Um, Stephanie wrote, I'm so thankful for this home because we finally have a place to call ours. It's a peace of mind knowing that this will be where I grow up and can come home to visit when I'm older. It's a place where I know my grandmother will always be and where I can finally feel safe. 
It's also what makes my grandmother smile, and I'm so proud of her. Home really is where the heart is. So, and our very last homeowner is Miss Beverly. And Miss Beverly did not write us a letter because we spend, we just spend way too much time with her, so we know her whole story. And I'll give you a little background on Miss Beverly quickly. Miss Beverly had a stroke about 15 years ago. They said, you're not going to make it through the night. I said, what do you think about Beverly? She said, I didn't like that they said that. And I told them I was going to make it through the night, and I was going to be fine. And so Beverly, once she made it through her stroke, she didn't regain full strength and wasn't able to return back to work. And she could have been very upset about that. She could have, you know, said, screw this. You know, the world has dealt me a raw hand, and I'm upset about this. Instead, Beverly has felt the need to give back to the community in multiple ways. Um, Whenever Mary Ross found out that Beverly was receiving a home, um, she told us that Beverly volunteers at the hospital. Beverly could not, was not able to pay the hospital back for the bills that um, she had incurred whenever she had her stroke. So she felt the need to continue to give back at the hospital for the last 15 years at the information desk because they had helped her. And I don't think that the hospital can say that a lot of people have felt that need to give back. Mary told me that Beverly is one of the most deserving people that she has ever met. Um, you know, the other thing Beverly does, we call her Granny. She's the Granny at Jefferson School to all the kids there through AmeriCorps. Um, now she comes to our store every day. She says she's going to continue to come after we um, are able to close on her home. But uh, one thing that Beverly told me, and I'll end on this because I think every homeowner feels like this. She said, I drive by the spot that my home will be in every day and cry tears of joy for the home that will soon be there. So I really appreciate you guys letting us speak. Thank you. Jesus will sing and shout. 
How great is that? That is so cool. I was singing. I, weren't you? <laughs> you were singing, weren't you? A little bit, okay. Man, that is so fun. And and, and thank you, Brittany and 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 uh, and our our homeowners. We are grateful for each of you. We're grateful for Habitat. I remember today, the first time I ever heard about Habitat. It was many, many years ago. I was at a Southern Baptist Convention meeting. I think it was in St. Louis, and uh, and there was a, another side meeting that I went to, and uh, they were talking about different things, and then. Jimmy and Rosalind Carter came out on the stage and started telling us about this new innovative program that is coming about called Habitat for Humanity. And I thought, man, what a great idea that is. And it kind of took off. And, and, and literally today, thousands and thousands of homes, like these homeowners, are, are being blessed by, by homes. And so we're so grateful for, for Habitat for Humanity. Thank you so much. And uh, we're grateful for any support of of money or prayers or volunteer hours that you can offer with that. Okay. I'm here to preach, though, I don't know. Okay. Um, some of you are probably probably familiar, uh, and, and prob- probably some of you have studied uh, Sigmund Freud, or at least you're familiar with, uh, with something about him. You've learned a little bit about him. He was the, f- the founder of psychoanalysis, and he was one of the most important figures of the early 20th century. But did you know that Sigmund Freud also had a great sense of humor? He doesn't, you know, he doesn't come across that way, but he had a great sense of humor, and he's, he was always telling jokes. In fact, in 1915, he told a joke about a minister who was called by a group of anxious relatives who wanted him to go and extract a deathbed conversion from an atheistic insurance salesman. And so the minister went to the hospital to see this insurance salesman. And the longer the meeting went on, the more the family members took hope that he was making progress. However, when the door finally opened, the salesman had not been converted to Christianity. But the pastor went away with a great life insurance policy. (laughs) There was a time when these so-called deathbed conversions were taken very seriously. It was important for people to know that their loved ones had signed on the bottom line to become a Christian, even, even if if it was at the very last minute of their lives. It was, uh, this was to ensure that their loved ones avoided the fires of hell. Yet, this practice led other Christians to ask an important question concerning faith in Jesus Christ. Can you really live a terrible life and wait right up to the last minute before you die and then ask for forgiveness and make a confession of faith in Christ and still be received into the kingdom of heaven? As if you had been the greatest saint to have ever lived? Is that possible? Well, from our story today, we would have to say, yep, sure looks that way. Jesus told a parable about a landowner who went to the marketplace early in the morning to hire some laborers. And this was, and and even is today, a common practice in some places. Day laborers will go to a, uh, 
a designated spot and wait for folks to, to come by who need help for the day to hire them. Well, the landowner agreed to pay the standard wage for a day's work to those who he hired early that morning. And then three hours later, he realized that he was going to need some more workers. And so he went back to the marketplace again and hired more laborers. And then about noon, he decided that he needed even more workers. And then again at 3 o'clock and then again at 5 o'clock, he kept going back to hire more laborers. And quitting time was 6 o'clock. So at 6 o'clock, he had the foreman line up the laborers to be paid, and he began with those that he had hired at the end of the day, who had only worked one hour, and he paid them a full day's wage. He paid them as if they had worked all day long. Well, those who had been working all day long since 6 o'clock that morning, they saw this and they were thinking, wow. Man, if he pays them a full day's wage for working just one hour, then think about how much he's going to pay us. We've been working all day. But when the time came to pay them, they also received the standard wage for one day's work. And guess what? It ticked them off. They got... They were infuriated by this. They had worked all day long and they were receiving the same amount of pay as those who had worked only one hour. It wasn't fair. It just wasn't fair. But the landowner said, didn't we have an agreement? Didn't I pay you what I agreed to pay you, what you agreed to receive in payment? And if I want to be more generous with with these, isn't it my right? It's my money, isn't it? I can do with it like I want. Now, since most of us here feel that we are the ones who have been working since 6 o'clock this morning, metaphorically, in the church, you know, we've been around a while, most of us here. We've been around a while. We've been in church a while. We We've been working hard, you know, for many years in the church. And so many of us here feel that we're the ones that have been working since 6 o'clock this this morning. And by the way, I have been working since 6 o'clock this morning. But we feel that this may be one of Jesus' most difficult teachings to accept. Is it true? Can a person be an absolute scoundrel right up until the very moment of his or her death and then repent and confess faith in Christ and receive gift of, the gift of, the, of eternal life as if he or she has been a saint all of, all of their lives? Somebody's bound to ask, and you're probably already thinking it. Then why don't we just go ahead and live a life of sin and wait until the very last minute to repent? You were thinking it, weren't you? That's a, that's a common question. It's a standard question. Well, let's think about that question for just a minute. In my opinion, I think that question is more troubling than the answer. I mean, why would we ask such a question as that in the first place? Why not just wait until the end of the, uh, to the end of our lives and then repent and turn to God? Why do we ask a question like that? Doesn't that 
question imply that we think that we would rather live a life of sin than a life of faith? I mean, why else would we be concerned about waiting until the last minute to repent? Are we praying Augustine's prayer? Lord, save me, but not yet. Because deep down in our hearts, we believe that giving in to God's going to spoil our fun. That living a life of faith is more of a burden than a blessing. Let me ask you a very serious question. What would you change about your life if you knew that there was no heaven or hell? What would you change about your life if you knew that there was no heaven or hell? Would you be less loving towards your family? Would you be more apt to cheat on your spouse? Would you be dishonest in in your business? I don't think so. You see, I think that old adage is true. Virtue is its own reward. There are other reasons that we maintain our wedding vows. There are other reasons that we run our business in an ethical manner. There are other, business, other reasons that we love our families besides the fear of hell. We try to live virtuous lives not because of our fear, because we've looked, we've looked around and we've seen that the moral way of life, that's the best way of life. We can't imagine a world without moral values. We can't imagine a world without family ties. And I know we may joke about the attractiveness of sin. And we may sing along with the teenagers, I was sinking deep in sin. Whee! And we may joke about that, but you know, deep down in our hearts, we know, we know that a life of sin only leads to the destruction of everything that's good and and lasting and ultimately satisfying in our lives and in this world. So what would you honestly change about your life if you knew that there was no heaven or hell? I suspect very little. Some of you are probably thinking you wouldn't sit through so many boring sermons on Sunday morning. Thought I'd get an amen on that one. But you know, actually, if you're here because you're because of your fear of judgment, you're probably not getting much out of the service anyway. But when we come to the realization that we're trying to do the right thing, not to please an angry God, but because it is ultimately in our best interest, when we come to that realization, then we will no longer envy that scoundrel who makes that deathbed confession. Indeed, to quote that great master of theology, Mr. T, we will pity the fool for taking so long to see what we have known all along. And if you don't believe me, would you believe that spooky granddaddy of shock rock, Alice Cooper? 
I want to tell you a story about Alice Cooper. This is a true story. Sorry, I've got a little <clears throat> stuff going on here. A few months ago, I, um, I preached the funeral for a dear, dear friend of mine, Ann Boswell. Ann was um, my youth minister when I was a child, when I was a youth in, in first, growing up in First Baptist Church of Griffin, Georgia. And she was one of the holiest people that I've ever met in my life. But she had one flaw. She was also one of the most gullible people I've ever met in my life. So gullible, in fact, that when I was a youth growing up under her tutelage, some of her, and, and I'm, if anybody blames me for this, I'm pleading the fifth, um, some of her less than scrupulous youth convinced her that Alice Cooper was a female folk singer. And that it would be a great idea for the church to sponsor a youth group outing to the upcoming Alice Cooper concert. And we did. <laughs> I think that they kind of felt things were not exactly right when we arrived. And she and our bus driver, Sarge Reagan, took up protective positions on each end of the rows, our rows there. And in case you don't know, Alice Cooper's concerts are filled with bizarre and dark images of guillotines and electric chairs and fake blood and snakes and bats and things like that. He's the epitome of societal rebellion. Not exactly the uplifting folk songs that, were, that was purported by the youth group. And by the way, after... After that concert, uh, we got back on the bus, and, and Ann got up there and got on the microphone, and, and she said, I've never been so appalled in all of my life. I was just glad that Jesus didn't come back while I was there. <laughs> now, you have undoubtedly drawn your conclusions about the character of Alice Cooper, haven't you? Well, let me tell you something that Alice Cooper said in, to the London Sunday Times just recently. He said, drinking beer is easy. He said, trashing your hotel room is easy. But being a Christian, that's a tough call. That's rebellion, he says. At the height of his fame, Alice Cooper drank a bottle of whiskey every day. But that bottle almost destroyed his marriage to his wife, Cheryl, of over 25 years. But then when he realized that he was in trouble, he started going to church with his wife. And, and while he was there, he felt God speaking to him. Alice Cooper experienced every pleasure that money could buy, but he found out that it didn't satisfy him. I was a prodigal son, he said. I left the house, achieved fame and fortune, and I found out that that's not what I wanted. Now I read the Bible every day. I pray every day. That's really what I'm about. I was, I was one thing at one time, he said, and now I'm something different. I, I'm a new creature so don't judge Alice by what 
Alice used to be. Praise God for what I am now, he says. If you ask which is more satisfying, a life of sin or a life of, as a follower of Jesus Christ, Alice Cooper would tell you that following Christ is a whole lot better. He changed. Now, I'd like to say that it had something to do with the influence of a certain youth group that attended one of his, <laughs> one of his concerts back in the early 70s. But, but you know, some of you, like Alice, have, have learned that lesson the hard way. But you know it's true. Max Lucado tells about how he and his boat once survived a, a hurricane. And an old seaman advised him to take his boat out to the deep waters and drop four anchors on each side of the boat, each corner of the boat, and pray that the anchors held. And Max survived that storm. But he says that he learned an important lesson from that experience. He said, all of us need an anchor that will hold during the storms of life. And here's the thing. If we are wise enough to have a strong anchor that will withstand any storm, then we won't need to make a deathbed confession. And we will not envy that person who does. We're not perfect. But we are wise enough to see that there are certain moral and spiritual laws that, that govern this universe just as surely as the law of gravity. And by the grace of God, we will seek to do what is right purely and simply because it is right. But there's another reason why this question about waiting to turn to God is troubling. Because if God rejoices when someone, some lost sheep or lost coin or lost boy is found, as, it, as Luke's, Luke's gospel tells us, if God rejoices when the lost is found, shouldn't we? Those who had worked in the vineyard all day long would have been perfectly satisfied with what they had received if they had not compared their wages with what others had received. But there's something very human about that, isn't it? Isn't there? Some of you are familiar with the movie um, Amadeus. It's a, an amazing portrayal of the life of Mozart. But there's a central figure in that movie, uh, a composer who was a contemporary of Mozart. His name was Antonio Salieri. And Salieri was a, a man whose life was devoted to music. And, and you kind of see the, the contrast because... Mozart, he just kind of, it just came naturally to him, and he just lived a life of, of leisure and freedom, and Salieri was very serious about his music. He was devoted to music. Early in his life, he promised God that he would give, his God, give God his entire life he would, if he would simply allow him to write beautiful music. And God answered that prayer. He wrote beautiful music. He became successful. He was the, the appointed uh, chief composer in the emperor's court. But then one day, he heard the music of Mozart. And immediately he recognized that Mozart's, Mozart was far more gifted than he was. And it drove him crazy. Something happened in his heart that day. 
He became obsessed with the desire to destroy Mozart. He even railed against God. He believed that God was mocking him through Mozart, even though God had answered his prayer, given him great gifts of music. He was, he was angry because those gifts weren't as good as Mozart's. And the ending to that movie was a tragic portrayal of how the power, the power of envy destroys a person's soul. As one cynic put it, it's not enough to succeed. Our friends must fail as well. Mm. What is there within us that, that judges our lives, not on the basis of what we have received, but on the basis of what we have received in comparison to what others have received. And of course, when that gift happens to be the gift of salvation, that principle is even more critical. Shall we who have been saved by grace not rejoice whenever any person receives that grace as well? whether they receive it as a child or as a a teenager or at the age of 98 after living a life of total degradation. In questioning God about these these kinds of things, what we fail to see is just how valuable a human soul is to God. That's the important truth here today. God's primary passion is to save people whenever that might happen. That's the gospel. Leslie Weatherhead puts that truth in a beautiful way in his book titled Key Next Door. When Weatherhead was visiting uh, some friends, he said he noticed that they had an old dog named Pete. And Pete... Weatherhead said, didn't have much to commend him as far as appearances were concerned. That dog just kind of tottered about and had a raw spot on the back of it, on his back. And, and, and some people had suggested that the dog ought to be put down, put to sleep. In fact, Weatherhead said that he was about to suggest the same thing, but then he learned that the dog was Mike's dog. Mike was the son of of the people Weatherhead was visiting. And the parents were keeping the dog for Mike. And they admitted that that Pete was really a a bother. It took a lot to keep him going. But after all, they said he's Mike's dog, and and we love the dog because of Mike. They saw the dog as Mike's dog, and they just couldn't have him put to sleep because Mike and the dog and their love were all bound together together they could see Mike coming home from the university one day and asking where's old Pete and they just couldn't see themselves saying well we had to put him down because he just became such a bother and he just wasn't worth keeping anymore not worth keeping that was a label that Weatherhead could put on old Pete but not Mike's parents because he was Mike's dog And then Weatherhead said, can you just imagine some angelic cynic looking down on the world and saying, I can't imagine why God keeps those mangy humans around. 
Why doesn't God just wipe them off of the face of the earth? Look how disobedient they are. Look how wretched so many of them are. But God can't do that. You see, we belong to Jesus. And because of that, we are of infinite worth. And that's why even a sorry old deathbed confession is enough to gain entry into the kingdom of God. It's because God is foolishly, hopelessly in love with us. There is nothing that God will not give to save us from the powers of sin and death, even God's own Son. But why should we make God wait so long? Why not make that confession of faith today and begin living a life filled with blessings today? You don't have to wait to make a deathbed confession. The life of faith is a life of great blessings. I can attest to you. Even Alice Cooper can attest to you. Love the Lord. Because God loves you. Let's sing. I'll hail the power of Jesus' name. All of this takes place because of the power of Jesus because of what He has done on the cross and the resurrection. All of this is done through the name of Jesus. And I hope that you have made that commitment to Christ. If not, do it today. Don't wait. Let's sing. of God uphold you, the peace of God surround you, the love of God flow from you, and the strength of God protect and bring you safely through this day and always. Amen. Amen.